I've got freedoms, fordoms, more like. <laughs> and I've got some witches. And welcome to Date Fight. I'm going to say welcome back to Date Fight, just in case you had a nice long mm. holiday break, and now you're oh, that would have been nice. Slowly pushing your face into the excrement of your life again. <laughs> <laughs> welcome along. It's great to be here. <laughs> He's Jake Yap. I'm Nat Dapley, and it's the sixth of January, and we are going to pick two of the finest trees available in the forest of history and fell them for your entertainment. That's ter- that's a terrible analogy. We're monsters now. I know, <laughs> we are axe-wielding monsters. Yeah, yeah. We're going to strike together the flint and steel of history in the Australian outback of fortune. <laughs> yeah, this is... We're going to strip mine the floodplains of history. <laughs> I'm going to take you back to the 6th of January 1973, when Hitler's car was sold for $153,000 at auction. The Mercedes-Benz 770K sedan, which wasn't ever owned by Hitler, but had been confused with one that had been owned by him because it had appeared in a film as his car, was bought by an unnamed person for $153,000, setting a new record for the amount of money spent on a car at any time. Yeah, but what I will say is it's it's a lovely motor, you know, it's a lovely runner. <laughs> that, that's why I bought it. There was no reason. But it's a very nice, it's a tidy little motor. I just got it for the upholstery. Yeah. <laughs> it actually belonged to Gustav Mannersheim. Uh, that one of Hitler's real cars was bought in November 2009 by an unnamed Russian billionaire for millions of dollars because humans are awful, awful creatures. Particularly billionaires, I think it's fair to say. Yes, I think it's difficult to become a billionaire unless you are fundamentally in some way awful. I've got this, I've got this theory about billionaires, which is that th- there's a sort of... You, there is no moral way to become a billionaire. You you can become a millionaire in a sort of moral way. Is it all right to inherit your billions? I, I guess, I guess. Well, yeah, you don't get any choice in that. So, yes, OK, apart from inheriting it, mm. there's no moral way to, to, to manufacture billions <laughs> because you, you, you make millions by creating some sort of empire, some kind of business. Yeah. But then the only way that you turn that into billions is by looking at ways of really shaving down yeah. human rights and <laughs> dignity. I've got this sustainable business model. How can I make it worse for the world? <laughs> exactly, but better for me. Yeah. Where are the little bits that make it palatable for humans that I can shave off just so I get more corners to have? It's just shocking, isn't it? The difference between a million and a billion is, is so hard for us to comprehend. A million seconds yeah. 11 days. A billion seconds, 31 years. What? Yeah. I haven't even been alive that long. That's alive. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't felt alive that long. No, that's true. Uh, so that's humanity. Billionaires buying Hitler's car, the grosser Mercedes, and I personally can't think of a grosser Mercedes <laughs> than that one. What uh, oppressive genocidal maniac's car would you buy? Ooh. I, I think, didn't Ceausescu have a gold Rolls Royce? <laughs> of course he did. Like Jimmy Savile. <laughs> Nikolai Ceausescu and Jimmy Savile are the only people I know okay. with gold Rolls Royces. Well, I'll go for Jimmy Savile's Trabant then. <laughs> After all of that, let me give you something a little more uplifting and wholesome. Yes. Oh, thank Please do. Because 
uh, on the 6th of January 1907, mm. a school and daycare centre opened in Rome, Italy. Oh. So what, I hear you say. So what? Except you didn't, because you're so polite and nice. You're very well raised. <laughs> I was thinking it, though. The reason being, it was the first ever school opened by Maria Montessori. Ah. And what a story she has. Uh, she was born in 1870 in Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, her dad was an official at the Ministry of Finance who worked in the local state-run tobacco factory. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Municipal cigarettes. <laughs> Smoke them for your country. It's for you. Smoke for your own good. <laughs> Does everyone talk like Mario? Yes, everyone Italy. is Mario. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, Maria Montessori's dad definitely did. Yeah, it's a me, <laughs> Alessandro Montessori. <laughs> I'm looking for the video game spin-off uh, of, of Montessori, which is just a game where you open it and it goes, well, what do you want to play? Anyway. <laughs> yeah. It's just two blocks. Yeah. <laughs> so she was quite a pioneer, though, because uh, she wanted to study engineering, which was very unusual for... Well, I mean, mm-hmm. wanting to wasn't unusual, but actually pursuing it, of course, was unusual. Um, she graduated with a certificate in physics mathematics. Uh, but then she was like, no, I'm going to go into medicine, which was even more unlikely, mm. given the cultural norms of the time. And she got a lot of opposition because she was a woman. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had to deal with... like. Like dissecting cadavers and they were like you're a lady I don't think you should be looking at a naked body and stuff <laughs> uh, so she had to do them alone her dissections she was alone with a dead Wait, body hang on how charming surely that's less yeah. good under any circumstance unless you believe that men I can't work out in what way that makes the situation from unacceptable to acceptable Unless men shouldn't have to see her looking at penises. Yeah, I don't want to watch you watching a dead man's... <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, she, couldn't, she couldn't stand the smell of formaldehyde, so she resorted no. to smoking municipal cigarettes. <laughs> of course, that's what she said. Yes, Everybody, yeah, yeah. if you feel upset by the fumes, yeah. try my new cigarettes. Papa Mario, he gave me the good deal. <laughs> so... Uh, she then started to look into what was then called phrenesthenic children, which was uh, children with uh, mental illness or um, learning difficulties Mm -hmm. and stuff. And that sort of developed. Um, She had a son. (laughs) Guess what his name is? Um, Is it... uh Corpsio. It's a me. <laughs> it's really it's a me. It's hey. a Mario. Mario, Mont- Mario Montessori. <laughs> he said that as he emerged. <laughs> he was the thing. So um, she had an affair with this doctor, and w- the thing was that in those days, if 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 you got married as a woman, you'd be expected to stop working, and she didn't want to stop working, so she didn't get married. But then she got pregnant, and then oh. she had a kid, and she was like, "Oh no, now yeah. what do I do?" So. Um, it was a complete secret, their relationship and stuff. But uh, the doctor, as you might expect, then just went off and that was it. And that was the end of it. And she was left alone yeah. with this kid. So she had to put her son into foster care with a family living out in the countryside. And she missed out on the first few years of his life. But here's the amazing story, which is that later in life, she was reunited with him mm. Um, when he was a teenager and he ended up being a tremendous kind of assistant and they did all their kind of work and research together and it really worked out. I wish I could send my kids into my assistant. That would be much easier. I've been working. I'm I'm just trying to teach him to mix a decent 
martini. <laughs> so then it was uh, in a low-income district called San Lorenzo in Rome mm. um, that she was basically given the opportunity to open this school on January the 6th, 1907. They had somewhere between 50 or 60 children um, between the ages of uh, two and seven. And the first ever Montessori classroom had a teacher's table and blackboard, a stove, I don't know, <laughs> small chairs, armchairs and tables, and a locked cabinet for the materials that Montessori had developed. And she basically took this very holistic approach. I mean, you, you can probably yeah. imagine. So it was uh, how to basically care for yourself, dress yourself, look after the environment, cleaning, caring for the garden... And stove maintenance, stove maintenance, and lock picking. So <laughs> she studied the children and, and what they liked, and so she was constantly adapting and modifying what was in the classroom. And uh, it developed into things like flower arranging and gymnastics and care of pets, mm. which you do have to sort of get right first go. Don't <laughs> yes, use the hammer on the tortoise. <laughs> so it was really good. And she found it very hard to break America. Like this spread worldwide quite fast. Mm. Um, but there was a massive kickback from a guy called William Hurd Kilpatrick. He sounds like a big in American industrialist with a big pocket watch chain across his tummy. Yes, my name is William <laughs> Hurd Kilpatrick. And this Montisaurus. <laughs> Played by John Lithgow in the film. Yes, yeah, always. <laughs> and a guy called John Dewey, they wrote a, a book called The Montessori Method Examined, which really pushed back on it and kind of killed it in the States for a long time. But she ended up okay. with three nominations for the Nobel Peace Prize. Six nominations, three years. What? 1949, 50 and 51. Yeah, it was like, are you ever going to get one away? And the answer is no. <laughs> they made the mistake. She, 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 she said to the Nobel panel, you know, well, just, you know, ha have a look at all the candidates and see which one, you know, draws your interest the most. And it wasn't her. <laughs> she did win the Nobel Peace Prize for irony. <laughs> Alfred Nobel did invent dynamite. So actually, ironic peace prizes are his thing. Oh, yeah, I forgot that. Or TNT. Not That's a good fact. Is she surprisingly eugenicist or racist in any way? No. Because most of them are. I mean, Steiner, Steiner is, isn't he, from the Steiner school? Steiner is horrific. Steiner's... He's quite eugenic -y and racist yeah. and, and all of that. But she's not. She's just blocks and soft play. And... Seems to have been a thoroughly good egg. Yay, we like those. There are too few of them on the podcast. Yeah. So unusual. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy Epiphany. And happy birthday. birthday to Gertrude the Great. She was a Benedictine nun, she was a theologian, and she was great. <laughs> Do you have evidence to support that, or is she just generally great? Absolutely none, apart from the fact that her name is Gertrude the Great, and I believe in nominative determinism. Also happy birthday to Richard II. He's the king who everyone hates, but I think is pretty good. He introduced handkerchiefs into England. He invented the fork. He made peace with France. And because he made peace with France, everyone hated him and starved him to death in a room. Um, he, he solved the peasants' revolt on his own by lying to everyone about it. Uh, he married a six-year-old. That wasn't so good. That's not great thing to do. Uh, but anyway, Richard II, he is a good king who everyone else thinks is rubbish. Also happy birthday to John DeLorean, whose stupidly doored car was the basis of the Back to the Future films. Happy 
happy death day to Gertrude of Delft, our second Gertrude of the day! Gertrude van der Oosten, or Gertrude of the East, was so called because she'd written a hymn about the East. And she was a Beguine. Do you know what a Beguine is? <laughs> when does it begin? Precisely. That, uh, that's exactly what he's talking about. And do you know what he's talking about? What Ackerbilk so eloquently spoke about with his clarinetal mouth. Clarinetal <laughs> <laughs> mouth. No. Yeah, well, it, a Beguine is a semi-monastic order, but it requires no vows and you're free to leave at any time. It was common in Northern Europe. I didn't know this either. I only looked this up because Gertrude of Delft was one, but that's what a Beguine is. Anyway, she got stigmata and she begged God to take them away again, and he didn't. That's a Beguine for you. That's Beguines. Um, Happy death day to Theodore Roosevelt, the rough rider and American president who was surprisingly progressive in domestic policy and yet a massive foaming nutsoid racist in foreign policy. Also, happy death day to Bob Holness, best known for blockbusters, um, being the radio James Bond and not playing the saxophone on Baker Street. Thank you for clearing that one up. It's uh, Yeah, that was invented by Stuart McConey in sometime in the late 80s or early 90s as a fake fact. Was it, Is that the first example of fake news? <laughs> that is exactly, um, it can be traced back no. to Stuart McConey and <laughs> <Yeah>. the NME <laughs> in 1989. <laughs> I've got January the 6th, 1941, Mm. and the United States President Franklin D. Roosevelt delivers his Four Freedoms Mm. speech in the State of the Union Address. Yes. Uh, Those Four Freedoms are, one, let's see if you can get, how many of them you can get? Uh, Freedom from want. Very good. Freedom from hunger. No. No. Freedom from fear. Yes. Uh, freedom from lizards. I'm going to give you two more strikes. Close. Freedom from just a big, big giraffe. Right. Yes, that was the other one. I, I'm, I'm yeah. flailing here. Of lizards <laughs> and <laughs> was it big giraffes, you said. <laughs> yeah. They're protected yeah. by the First Amendment in oh, the United States Constitution, okay, right. yeah. along with speech and religion. <laughs> and the pursuit of other lizards. Yes, but Roosevelt sort of felt there was a broader human right to economic security. Mm. And this was uh, what came to be known decades later as the human security paradigm mm-hmm. in social science and economic development. I mean, who cares about that anymore? <laughs> and uh, freedom of fear. Uh, this was against national aggression, and he took that to the new... United Nations that he was setting up. Well, you had to, Frank. I was setting up a United <laughs> Nations. What are you doing? Yeah, still working on the bike. Um, originally, you're right, though, because there were originally there were something like 12 freedoms. There was um, right. freedom of toppings, <laughs> yeah. uh, that your pizza toppings should be an inviolable human right. Uh, freedom of wallpapers, that any man, man, you note, yeah. should have access to wallpapers. Um, and that was updated in the Digital Rights Act of 2003 Christ. to include desktop wallpapers, <laughs> freedom from constipation, and freedom of socks, which said that whatever your profession, uh, whether you're a businessman or uh, an engineer, you're allowed to wear personality socks as your sort of little I mean, that, statement. I think, was overstepping. That was We didn't need that. That, if anything, has been detrimental. I think that's... The unforeseen consequences of that have been tremendous. I always like seeing young men who have to wear sort of shiny trousers, mm. suit trousers and, and a shirt and tie to work. 
Yeah. And they sort of, they make that concession because they have to. But then, because, what the heck, I'm a rebel for life. And they'll wear like a really horrible leather jacket or one of those little anoraki jackets. And you think, yeah. is it worth it? Because you just look awful. <laughs> In two ways now. You're doubly awful. Yeah, it's it's like formal shoes with tracksuit trousers. Like, j- just go for it. Whatever it is, you're going, you know, if you've got to do the suit thing, make it work. Yeah. Make it look good. Don't be all rebel for life. And frankly, if you're a man and you're over 30 and your hair comes below your ears, get it cut. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying. Lovely. So is it... What have you got? What have I got? I have the 6th of January, 2011, when the Romanian government was cursed by witches. (laughs) What? In 2011, the Romanian government tried to reform the tax code to include amongst the self-employed fortune tellers, astrologers and witches, whereas they'd never been taxable before. The witches responded, some might say predictably, by cursing the government. (laughs) (laughs) One of them said, I'll do a witch voice, why not do a witch voice? The law is foolish. What is there to tax when we hardly earn anything? The lawmakers don't look at themselves at how much they earn. The tricks, their tricks, they steal and they come to us asking us to put spells on their enemies. Sorry, could you do that? Could you do that as a Romanian witch now? Oh, yes, that's right. The law is foolish. What is there to tax when we hardly earn No, it's okay. No, it's okay. It was a fun experiment. Um, the twelve witches <laughs> then hurled poisonous mandrake plants into the Danube while expressing hexes on the government of President Traian Bacescu. Um, oh, also we mentioned Ceausescu earlier. Ceausescu, when he was head of Romania, had a, a personal witch, which fits in nicely with our theory about uh, Nancy Reagan's astrologer and Rasputin and Carol Kaplan. I want a personal witch. Huh? Yeah, personal witch would be... You've got to be pretty rich to have a personal witch. I mean, it's got to be better than, than an agent, hasn't it? <laughs> well, you know, when you kind of go, yeah, going by oh, the yeah, evidence. well, talk about money with my agent. <laughs> if instead it was like, mm, yeah, t- talk it over with my personal witch. Yeah. Have you thought of hiring Jake Yap? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe get Romesh Ranganathan. <laughs> In the previous presidential election, when um, President Traian Bacescu's opponent had done badly in the presidential debate, he blamed witches for his failure to uh, perform well. Not It wasn't unpopular amongst all witches, though. One witch said, The law is very good. It means my magic gifts are recognised and I can start my own practice. <laughs> Which opens up more questions than it answers for me, because... A, it suggests there's some sort of witch apprentice scheme where you have to get to a certain level before you can open your own witch practice. Yes. Um, and B, what was stopping... What, what, what were the administrative barriers in place before you had to be taxed? Well, she's going, no, I'm witch. Everyone went, no, you're not. Show us your tax return. <laughs> and then it, oh. Anyway, that was 2011, when witches cursed the Romanian government. <laughs> that's amazing that that's in the last decade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Still in the 2010s, guys. Still in the Amazing. 2010s. That's a great one. Well, thanks. those were really fun. I enjoyed those. What a day. I feel like we've turned a corner with yes. the year. Uh, for those of us who, who have been here since the 1st of January, like it was quite bleak over over the the holiday season, wasn't it? It got quite intense. Yeah, but uh, I feel we've we've turned a corner. More witches. Yeah, yeah more witches. Witch fight. <laughs> so... Yeah. Uh, so good. Well, I'm glad that that we were able to hopefully brighten what is probably going to be otherwise a fairly r- a rotten day for a lot of people. 
Although I think a lot of people are quite relieved to get back into the routine of it, aren't don't you think? Yeah, they just want to get away from all their family now. <laughs> yeah, you've done enough of that now. <laughs> Enjoy the freedom, have a coffee and maybe, you know, some quiet time on the lab at work <laughs> on the company dime later on. Listening to a podcast. With a, Yes! We'll be back. All those sort of weird, <laughs> like, quiet chuckling coming from a cubicle would be really weird. You know, if you just heard a kind of... <laughs> that would be bizarre. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I once I once went to the loo in America. I was uh, editing video in, in this uh, post-production place, and uh, there was a guy on the loo whistling. <laughs> it was so weird. <laughs> and was I knew who that, it was. I knew who it was. <laughs> yeah. No. It no. It wasn't. It wasn't that one. Uh, it was. Uh, it was just a kind of. <coughs> Getting, getting it done. It's <laughs> like it was very jaunty. Whatever he was doing was particularly jaunty. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, this is easy. I don't have to concentrate on this. <laughs> Happy days. Well, wherever you're listening to us and whatever it is you're doing, I hope it's <laughs> as cheer-inducing as uh, that poo obviously was for that guy. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with another date fight. See you tomorrow. Do please subscribe and share, and we'll see you then. Bye. Thank you, bye. And I'm Hannah Gregg, and we're here to tell you about the History Film Club. The History Film Club is a new podcast about history and films, and history in films, and films in history. Every week we'll talk to an expert, like Stephen McGann, Amanda Vickery, or Dan Snow. We'll find out their fictional favourites and historical hates, and whether they can prove to us they deserve membership of the The History History Film Film Club. Club. The History Film Club is available from December 28th wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe now to make sure you never miss an episode.